Hey everyone, um, I'm delighted today to be joined by uh, Nada Al-Kutbi, um, EMEA social media lead for IBM and Ryan Bars, the global influence marketing lead also at IBM uh, to talk about everything influence marketing and employee advocacy. So a very warm welcome to you both. Thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy days um, to chat to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having, having us. us. Yeah. Pleasure. Um, and so uh, just so that everyone can get to know you a bit better, um, it would be great if you could uh, introduce yourself, maybe talk about how you got into influence marketing employee advocacy. It, it, it doesn't just happen overnight, does it? You know, there's obviously uh, a bit of a backstory to that. So uh, maybe Nada, you could um, you could go first and, um, yeah. and you know, tell us a bit about. Yeah, yourself. sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my name is Nada, and um, I'm the EMEA social media leader at IBM. So, just a bit on my background. So, I have been at IBM um, ten years. Um, have worked in various different marketing roles, um, primarily digital and social media uh, marketing. Um, and I'd say I first got into influencer marketing and employee advocacy about five years ago when I started the social media role. Um, and that's where I started to build our influencer marketing strategies, working with you, Analytica, um, on identifying influencers, um, and also uh, working on our um, employee advocacy uh, programs as well, um, where we spent a lot of time coaching IBMers on getting social, um, co-creating content with uh, external influencers and kind of involving them into our events. So, so that's when I got into influencer marketing about, I'd say about five years ago. Yeah, I think the timeline for me is is kind of similar. So I, I joined IBM about six years ago and identified the need for people with social reach and influence to kind of come to our events. And we realized like we weren't doing enough with them uh, post event. So we decided that we needed to get involved and create a, an official program and position. Here we are. Did we lose Tim? <laughs> so. Okay, well, Nada, it's so great talking with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we always say we can um, we could literally spend hours talking about influencer marketing um, on all our calls. Um, do you so remember? I do you remember your like kind of first influencer, like external influencer program or like thing you did campaign? Yeah, I, I mean, I remember. So I remember when in so when I was a digital strategist, I spent kind of eight years in digital and social media marketing. And when I was a digital strategist, that's when I started running kind of social media campaigns. Um, and I remember it was like an add on on top of my digital role. And it was it was really difficult to kind of manage both. Um, so I'm really glad that now we've kind of got the you know dedicated resource for social specifically and then and that's when i moved on to becoming social strategist um so i remember my first campaigns and i remember like how overwhelming it was to try and identify influencers and 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 to do it across like all our topics and across business units um so i think we've come a long way since uh since like uh, the first campaigns that we ran where we really thought this isn't working and this is really challenging I, I just want to, I just, I'm so sorry about that. An electrician came into our building, cut all of the power and the internet um, just at the worst time. So anyone listening live, hey, Anita, I just, uh, um, that's never happened to me. This is a first, but I'm so sorry uh, for that. So many apologies. I know that both of you will have smashed it um, in the, you know, while I was away. And I'll just have to imagine what you've said. Um, 
So both of you have introduced yourself and um, and talked about the various different challenges. So apologies. Um, uh, so um, please continue if you were um, if you were. Well, yeah, yeah. I was just kind of asking Nada around kind of her first campaign and sort of that transition from thinking about digital to adding on sort of these layers of influencer marketing as, you know, teams sort of are trying to things out for the first time. And it's sort of like a, a stretch project or a thing you might be passionate about because it's, you know, obviously trending. Um, I was a little bit unique and we kind of carved out this position for me um, as an IBM. I kind of had a different role in social kind of temporarily. And then with the intent of this being an employee advocacy and influencer position. Um, not that we have done it before. It was brand new, um, at least in the business unit that I was in. Um, and so it sort of evolved over time. And that was about five or so years ago. And to Nada's point earlier, like trying to discover them, it's like living in spreadsheets and um, hashtags on on Twitter or other platforms. And, you know, obviously the evolution of being able to do that at scale has been really important. And, you know, the partnership with Analytica has been great. Thank you, um, and thank you so much for um, uh, for filling in while I was away. So, um, so one of the one of the things that I find is is fascinating. Um, IBM is a very uh, you know advanced brand. Um, you know, Anita, thank you for for tuning in. Ericsson is very advanced at this as as well. But there's a lot of brands that are starting out and not sure what to call this and how to define what an influencer is obviously you know it's it's gaining so much attention but also is ambiguous in nature how do you refer to um influencers and how do you describe your programs internally that's a really good question because you know a lot of times we talk internally at least in the marketing organization of like influencers and a lot of times we're talking about people that are influencing the buying decision inside of a company so are, can we talk to a developer that might be influencing a decision from like a CTO or CDO? Um, and in the social team and a lot of like the like internal roadshows we have to go on, we have to make sure that we differentiate, differentiate between like what we might refer to as an influencer inside a company versus what we want to work with, with someone that has thought leadership, has the ability to be authoritative on a topic and has the the reach on social and the engagement on social that we're looking for. So I think that's the differentiator from my point of view is that social component. Um, who are you know who are they engaging with? Who's in their network? Who's in their audience? And making sure that those individuals that they're connecting with obviously makes sense for a business point of view of the people that we want to reach or you know that white space, those new individuals that we can kind of get into into our campaigns or um, or other activities we have going on at events or other things. Yeah, I really, I really like that because it, it, the, the landscape has changed in terms of the different personas of influences, and so I, you know, I think you made some great points there. And Nada, do you, do you feel like um, uh, you, you take that sort of definition, but want to make sure you're not engaging with people that other teams are already managing? Like, how have you found that? I mean, you're, you're across EMEA and nine different markets, so I imagine that's a challenge for you to know who you're engaging with and who you're not. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree, Ryan. I think um, you know influencers are credible individuals. They're you know um, key opinion leaders and, and real subject matter experts that we want to engage with, build relationships with. That can help us um, co-create content. Can help us you know position our brand and what we want to be known for. Um, I, I think in terms, yeah, I think that the challenge with with working with influencers kind of globally. Um, is that you know various different countries are probably working with similar in, in influences. We don't want to duplicate efforts there. 
Um, and also I think influencers have a global audience as well anyway. Um, I think the key difference I've seen um, across the different kind of markets in um, EMEA, so Europe, Middle East and Africa, um, is the maturity level of some of those markets and countries with the programs that they're running. Um, and I think some markets are just more mature than others. Um, and I think that kind of affects the perception or impacts the perception um, internally and also, um, you know, with the influences that they work with and, and identify. So I think the maturity is, um, makes, a, makes a difference there. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that's a fascinating point because you've got the different markets and Ryan. I know that there's lots of different business units um, that are that are running influence marketing within IBM. So you've got different levels of maturity. How do you how do you kind of manage the the program? You know, uh, paying um, so due diligence to that kind of maturity and and you know optimize the program whilst not trying to make it too um, competitive or or compare different markets or different business units? Yeah, from my point of view, marketing is coming together right now at IBM and having sort of a, a one approach in one direction. So we're breaking, attempting to break down some of the silos that we had within the business units. So you're right, Tim, business unit over here could be well advanced and have a great program going on and another business unit sort of trying to figure that out. But there might be overlap in some of these influencers and what they're talking about on social, um, where the cloud team might be interested in somebody and also the data team might also be interested in that same individual. So platforms like Analytica can help us bring that together and kind of have that centralized view of what we know, who's working with whom and what's their, their skill set, their topical um, authority. And then also internally, we have a lot of just, <laughs> again, roadshows or conversations or Slack groups, just making sure that we all know who's working with whom and that we aren't duplicating efforts. We are talking with our communications counterparts and our analyst relations, because a lot of times, I think to your point earlier, Tim, with like the personas have evolved and they're continuing to evolve and who we can consider an influencer. And those might be an analyst. It might be a journalist. Um, and in the marketing team, we want to collaborate with the right counterparts in those teams um, and communications or public relations to make sure that we are all going forward with the same message and the, the left hand, right hand know what's going on. So it's a challenge at a scale of IBM, but I think a lot of the, the working with vendors like yourself allows us to kind of understand what's going on in the markets. Like we're not as involved. And then also at the global scale, where we're kind of working at the, the business unit level. Yeah, I think, I think it's it's obviously you know, what both of you bring to to, to your programs to to achieve that scale because it's it, it's because uh, your programs have gone through different maturity stages so it's great to to see that there's a, a lot of alignment and communication going on across the teams because I think back in like five or six years ago you know, I would speak to some of the influencers and they would say oh this brand is two people uh, contacted me from this brand and you know one person didn't have a clue I was working with that brand it is very different offering and I didn't know what price to charge or whether it was organic and and you know that that was that was pretty much what the norm was I think five or six years ago um so I think I think you, you, both of you have done obviously a great job at um, at aligning because it's such a, a difficult um, job to do it's, when you've got hundreds of thousands of employees. Yeah, and it's important, you know, to align because that's we don't want to be confusing when we go to the market. We don't want to, um, you know, be confusing to the influencers working with. So I do think it's really important that and that I think that's the role of my my role here at Global like lead of this is to bring it all together, figure out the impact influencers are making make sure that we communicate that internally as best we can. And then the team around me is helping kind of 
do the execution of that, whether it's through an event or a campaign or other content collaboration and working with Nada and her teams um, and others across the world to make sure that we're all sort of hitting the same goals and the same metrics and we're all kind of marching towards the same yeah. um, end goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think we spent a lot of time last year as well, kind of working on the Influence Council where, you know, we set the point of view and kind of strategy and um, around influencer marketing and IBM. Um, and a lot of the kind of materials and resources are now available for social practitioners and social strategists um, across IBM. And then we also earlier this year did, um, you know, some uh, built some playbooks as well, like step by step guides um, and also ran quite a few enablement sessions internally. Just again, just to explain what influencer marketing is and why it's important and, um, you know, examples of best practices and case studies. So I think we, we still we still do run those sessions. And I think internally, you know, that perception and kind of enablement is still important and key across marketing. Yeah, and no, I think that's a, such an important point. I mean, it's still quite nascent, even though that you, both of you have been doing it for um, for a number of years now. Um, and so I think the the education is uh, just externally between all stakeholders and uh, both internally as well is uh, is absolutely critical. Um, I was going to ask you what have been the key successes that the kind of big wins over the over the past few years. Um, may, maybe Ryan, you could you could go first. Yeah, I think there's a there's a few. So I we saw a lot, of, and I know Nada's probably going to talk a lot about what she's done on the local level, but um, I think when we think about think earlier this year, a big marquee event, um, this was the first year we sort of had time, you know, 2020, we were kind of a little bit scrambling to try to make it from a in-person event to a digital event, which a lot of other places were doing the same thing. And so we, um, this year gave us time knowing it was going to be virtual to really kind of have a great plan. And it allowed for us to test this exact theory of bringing all these different teams together and how do we have like a group of influencers helping support that event and our, our employee advocates, those SMEs, subject matter experts that have, you know, a, a really valuable voice in the space and getting the right people from across the company involved. So I, I saw a lot of success there in terms of just bringing IBM together for this one event, which most of IBM is all focused on anyway. And it allowed us to see a lot of great success um, from, you know, the global main event there in May. Um, so that was like the most recent sort of that's, we loved seeing that. And I think it was really great success putting these people together. And I know Nada probably has a lot of other examples on local yeah. level too. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I think for me as well, just being able to identify influencers that we have turned into IBM advocates. So, you know, even if it's just like a, a set of key influencers that we've worked with them over the years and are kind of always on um campaigns and and the fact that you know we've managed to turn them into ibm advocates is a huge success for me um and um also being able to introduce them to our subject matter experts and that's one of the things that um i've had really positive feedback from our smes and from the sales teams um is that they found it really beneficial and kind of they really value being introduced um to like-minded thought leaders and, and industry experts um, and then I also think um, the content creation part as well is a huge success. So we've managed to experiment and pilot and create some of our best performing, high quality thought leadership content, um, whether it's, you know, a LinkedIn live like this or uh, a podcast um, or a fire hopefully, site. Hopefully with a better internet connection. <laughs> um, so we've, we've managed to experiment and, it, and it's and I think it's been really great to 
um, to, yeah, to experiment across different formats and um, and to create content and um, co-create um, content with influencers. And then finally, as Ryan said, I also completely support what he said around Think and for our Mia Think Summit events as well that took place last month. Um, you can just see the impact from our influencer marketing campaigns, both from an external influencer perspective and our employee advocacy programs and how you know, about 60% of our um, client uh, social registrations um, driven for client and business partner registrations were driven through influencers, both external and internal. Um, so obviously that's huge. And um, and I think that our stakeholders and the marketing teams, you know, really see that and see the, the role that um, influencers play and how important they've become as part of the marketing mix now. Yeah, no, what I love about that is, so you've got the quantitative facts like you know 60% of social registrations across clients and partner driven by influencer content. I think also um, some of uh, the attendance of uh, the the registrations was higher through the influencer channel. Um, you know, I believe which is which is interesting because of the quality of audience. Um, so yeah. I, I I love the fact that you have quantitative stats like that. You've obviously got things like brand share of voice metrics within influence community. So that's the kind of quantitative part. But I also um, think that sometimes when, and I see this a lot in brands which are starting out, they are measuring the performance of a content, you know, the thought leadership better than what they push out through their brand, maybe just of many months before. But actually, the fact that both of you have linked it up with your employee advocates and the quality of content is increasing and there's there's just a multitude of knock-on effects which i can see have sort of taken on um a lot of sort of qualitative benefits um and that is i think harder for brands starting out to to kind of recognize but you know, and so um you're almost you've got you know the quantitative and qualitative sides and the subject matter experts and the exec leaders that are you know, benefiting from this, I imagine, are kind of bought in and that helps the internal recognition, I imagine. Yeah, and I, to Nada's comment earlier about the influencer council, I think that's another like thing that's happening internally, but it, it brought sort of the, the brightest minds that are kind of doing influencer work at IBM today together to create playbooks and to create as, uh, case studies and other resources for the rest of the practitioners to use across IBM, but also just for any IBMer that's like interested in like, how do I, what is influencer marketing like at IBM? How are we doing it? Who are we working with? What are the successes? And I think that's also just like a really great um, value we've added to the company is being able to kind of bring all these minds together, share that internally and continue to evolve it, right? Like it doesn't just like go away and we turn the light off, it's done. Like we gotta continue to like build upon it. Cause as you guys know, like things are, new platforms are evolving and things are changing and um, new influencers are coming up and others are kind of expanding their reach. So I think it's um, one thing we continue to look at, but that's been a really great like success too, is just being able to put it all together and have a clear point of view. I love that influence account. Can I, can I ask how many people are involved in that globally? Is it 10 people or 50 or is it? Uh... Oh, much smaller. Yeah. So I think it was, um, we kind of divided it into couple different streams, right? There was an employee advocacy sort of work stream, which I think had a handful of individuals. And then there was sort of the external influence point of view. And we, you know, met weekly, um, had uh, sprints and sort of agile fashion. And so I would say probably about 10 people total across the different work streams were involved in, in that council to sort of evolve as, as I mentioned, like the marketing organizations 
you know, changing right now at IBM. And so we're kind of evolving and fitting into that, the new model and being, making sure we're relevant in the market with, with influencers. Fantastic. Um, and I'd love to dig into the, the connection between employee advocacy and influence marketing, because uh, you've obviously got a lot of great wins there. And I, um, so how many people, uh, how many employee advocates are sort of part of the program and how many people sort of connect to the to the influences? How do you manage that? Because obviously there's, you know, tens of thousands of employees, lots of subject matter experts internally. How do you how do you select the employee advocates? How do you connect them up? Like, you know, I'd love to know a bit of detail um, about that. Yeah. So I think from from my perspective and kind of from the programs and campaigns that I've managed, um, obviously it depends on like the campaign and the objective and whether it's, you know, a specific event that we're managing and wanting to involve external influencers in. So that's a kind of example of, um, of you know, how we involved influencers for, for Think, for example, and um, managed to get influencers to take part in the agenda itself and to speak um, and to moderate some sessions and to take part as panelists, um, but also, you know, got them to also run um, co-creators content with our SMEs as well. So pre-event to do like a bit of a kind of sneak preview in, in, in terms of some of the sessions that will take place. Um, and so one of our influencers, for example, interviewed three of our SMEs on like, um, you know, what they'll be t speaking about um, in, in their event and in the session. Um, so there's various ways that we, you know, we we kind of co-create content, especially around events. Um, from an always-on perspective as well, um, I think one of the key benefits from kind of you know tying the external influences with internal influences is just simply introducing them to like-minded individuals based on their topics of interest. Um, so if our SMEs are interested in AI or um, hypercloud then you know we'd identify relevant influences um in in kind of those industries um and those segments to to connect them with to to you know introduce them to each other to facilitate those conversations for them to build a, a kind of a long-term authentic relationship um so it really depends on the campaign but i think that's one of the the main benefits and to you know, a simple way to, to just connect our internal influences with external influences. Um, and then the other point is around co-creation of content as well. So, um, you know, we've, we've got some examples of great blogs that were co-created, so longer form pieces of content around fireside chats and LinkedIn live sessions and podcasts. So just different formats, different influences. Um, yeah, just it all goes back to what your objective is with your campaign and what you're trying to achieve. So I love it. so no that that sounds amazing and through the campaigns you've obviously got some wonderful connections um do do you see Ryan that once that's happened that there's like a an ongoing relationship that there's lots of content produced through SMEs and influencers naturally just as part of a social engagement or do you think that 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 really relies upon the brand to just continue investing in employee generated content and influencer generated yeah. content it's a good question. I think that there's, I look at our kind of advocacy in a couple different tiers. There's your, your tier of individuals that are happy to share IBM content. They do it on their personal channels and um, it's kind of low touch for them. And then it's up to the higher tier where we kind of have like a more white glove service of our SMEs that are creating content in collaboration sometimes with influencers to, you know, help tell the story to their audience and maybe get their unique point of view on something um, and not be sort of heavily driven by IBM. So I think 
I, I will be honest and say I, there is a lot of um, a lot of encouragement from the marketing team to make sure that our SMEs are active in creating sort of longer form pieces of content in collaboration with influencers. I don't think it's happening a ton organically. Now, I do think that they once there's that connection made and they've been able to either speak on the panel or have a, a, a private interview or conversation around a topic or campaign, that there is a lot of the two-way engagement on social happening, whether that's through liking, commenting, um, sharing posts, whether on LinkedIn or Twitter or other places. Um, but as, when it comes to sort of like video creation, I have seen that sort of organically happen over time. And um, there's an example where we had a, a launch event a few years ago and several influencers there to help us tell that story on social and, and from their point of view. And Post that event, there was you know several kind of conversations around what's happening next and the next event, uh, the next event that that influencer might be at. So um, we got to make sure that we kind of we all have a view into what's happening because we want to make sure that we're we're getting the right um, the right uh, performance metrics if we need them, <laughs> if possible. Because you know we're in marketing, we have to kind of move that needle. But I do think that it kind of varies a little bit on the the comfort level of the SME. But um, on social happens a lot. I think if it's it's a little bit more of our guidance that's needed when we get to longer form pieces of content, whether it's like videos or blogs or podcasts. Amazing. I, I think that that probably was quite satisfying seeing the ongoing conversations as well. Uh, I know that there's a lot of execs and subject matter experts that have um, that, that have developed their social media uh, expertise and influence and and actually taken to it when they might not have been as comfortable beforehand. So I, I imagine that 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 makes you feel good when you're running the programs to we just absolutely see, love see that. the personal growth. Yeah. If we love, if someone, if, a, if an IBMer who we think has a really unique story to tell or has a, you know, an expert on a certain subject and they are kind of hesitant to get on social because maybe it's not their day job. Right. Or it's, you know, we're adding, adding extra stuff to their plate already busy full plate, but when they can kind of see that happening organically and, you know, we're, we're kind of listening. We're not necessarily like always going in and making sure they're doing those things. But as we pay attention, you know, we follow the influences in our personal channels and we can kind of see engagement just naturally have. We love that. I think that's a win if we can build those connections, because when I talk to our influencers or any inf person we're working with externally, like what's something you want to get out of working with IBM in this like sort of capacity by creating and collaborating and content. It's a lot of times it's, connections with SMEs. They want to be able, you know, we don't have events right now, or, you know, we're working towards those face-to-face -face events, but um, a lot of times they want to just have a, a, a chat or a coffee or whatever it can be with an SME. And it doesn't always have to be this big grand, you know, celebration with um, a payment or other things. It can just be a, a quick conversation. So I think we'd love to see that. At least I do. Yeah, and I guess they they want customer case studies. They want you know uh, materials for their books. They need content to to inspire them. So you know, I guess that that's all. You know, that that's sometimes when when influencers don't go through marketing, they just have a conversation with another person. There's never a payment involved, is there? There's just right. there's just a conversation, which is great. Um, I'd love to ask Nada how you think influencer marketing, employee advocacy is evolving. Um, when you look at the next, I suppose we're coming up to the towards the end of the year, even though I still think it's summer, but uh, you know it's a bit cold in in the UK, so um, that's uh, definitely telling me it's not. Um, when you're looking uh, forward to 2022, um, do you think like same as before, just a bit more scale, or like what 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 trends or changes do you think are are important? Yeah, so I I think 
data-driven influencer marketing will kind of be a big focus. So I think the more money that brands kind of invest into influencer marketing, the more important the return on investment becomes. And I think data is really important for a number of different reasons. So obviously it helps us identify the most relevant influencers that we want to connect with um, and build relationships with, but also it helps us kind of you know measure and optimize um, our um, campaigns as we go along and kind of iterate. Um, so I think as, you know, as, as brands and organizations invest more in influencer marketing, um, I think it will move from just being kind of experimental to being a core part of our marketing mix. And I think um, it's really important that we then also make sure we dedicate um, the resource and um, you know the time and effort into managing those programs. Great. Um, uh, Ryan, I'd love to get your yeah. your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, like retweet all of that. I think it's, we, a lot of companies, at least in the B2B space, have been able to kind of say, oh, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to try it out. Like, we'll see if it works. But now I think the evolution of these programs and in influencer marketing is we need to know what, what we, we need to know, right? We need to have metrics. We need to work closer with the influencer to, to, to see the performance of the things that we're doing um on social and the campaigns we're running with them and i also part of that is like audience analysis i think that's a really big part that we haven't had a great um haven't had always the best insight into like who in their audience are they engaging most with and are those people also individuals we want to engage with from an ibm perspective or a business perspective i think that's really important as we continue to grow that um, and then finally, last thought, I think it's that the connection we were just talking about with employees. I think employee advocacy is continue to evolve and be refined. I think it's pretty something in a, a platform and have a bunch of people share it from their channels. But I think where it's going to evolve to is how do you have a heavier touch with smaller people, smaller group of people and build a, a year long or annual campaign with that individual. And you, you, you tie in not only the business objectives, talking about our offerings, but then you have cultural moments and you have other things that are really important locally that give a, like a human perspective to that uh, point of view for that. Um, I think that as a, a marketing team, we can kind of think, okay, through the whole year, through this period of time, how do, what's the story you're going to tell? How does it all weave together? How do we obviously make sure IBM is, is um, represented well, but you as a person and your social persona is also growing. We want to put effort and resources into you because we think that you have a fresh face, a fresh voice, something to say in the market. And I think that's going to continue to evolve um, and grow in the, you know, in the coming months and years. I, I love those two. I've got, I, I just had like 50 questions in my head from what both of you <laughs> have said, because it's, um, it's exciting. And I, I guess if when you're looking at investment, I think I, I think 70% of marketers have surveyed you know, were building an influence marketing into their budgets. And you know, if you look at all those different surveys, people say they're going to invest more um, next year than they have uh, previously, or that's what they said in two at the end of 2020. Um, uh, obviously, when the pandemic was like really at sort of the height um, of its peak. Um, so I guess what I kind of start thinking is uh, when you're a CMO or when you're like, um, you're giving out the dollars, do you is this diverting budgets from maybe content creation and putting it towards employee generated content and influence generated content? Or is this just, 
you know, influencer marketing showing the return better to just get more more investment, you know, by itself, or is it like, um, you know, is the is less being spent on advertising and paid media, or is this just an add-on? I guess I'd love, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on, um, on whether they're kind of interlinked or whether influencer marketing just needs to do a better job of showing the value and just getting that business case. Yeah, so I think I read um, in an article in The Drum that um, influencer marketing, I think in 2020, was worth um, 9.7 billion and is expected to grow to $15 billion by 2022. Um, so I think you're, you're absolutely right. And with almost half of marketers saying they're spending more than 20% of their budget on influencer content. Um, so it's interesting because that says influencer content. And I think working with influencers now, and I think because I attended Social Media Week this week as well, and there was a lot of conversations around creators. Um, and I was even asking the difference between what, you know, the difference between a creator and an influencer. And um, and I think, you know, a lot of people said it's like the next iteration of influencer marketing. And, and I think that makes sense, you know, working with influencers, they're content creators. And, um, and I think that's a big part of what you invest in as well. Um, you, you know, you're investing into working with people who are credible, who, can help us you know change our perception of what we want to be known for can help us reach new audiences but also i think more importantly it's they can help us create high quality content um, and it's that content creation that you know we're wanting to focus more on so um i think in terms of budget um i'm not sure if we'd move budget away from other areas necessarily i think it's um just being you know investing a big part of of our of our marketing budget into influencer marketing which is um, you know, definitely something that's needed. And now that, um, you know, that we're able to track real impact from um, from our campaigns, I think, you know, we'll encourage brands and, and um, marketers to invest more of their budget in influencer marketing campaigns because we're able to track the full journey and we know it impacts the whole entire funnel. Um, so, you know, if, if your objective is awareness, then, you know, you're going to be able to track reach um, and engagements and those kind of metrics. And then if it's, lower funnel then you're able to track you know engage visits to your landing pages or blogs or you know that conversion whatever that conversion is for for the brand yeah i i look at it like we want to fund the creativity of these influencers and and so that might mean taking a little bit of money from maybe an agency resource and putting it into influencers um and to nada's point like yeah we want to fund their creativity we want to make sure they're creating you know, engaging in interesting content, not only for their audiences, but the audiences that we want to hopefully attract to IBM and build relevance for the, for the topics that we want to be relevant for. Um, so I think that's really, and as we know, like organic social just continues to have limitations on its reach. So um, I think paid socials can continue to be very important. And I think you can look at influencers in a similar way of how do we target the, their audiences that are relevant to IBM and get them to our website, get them to it within a campaign and um, hopefully, you know, get them into the, the journey. Um, so I think it's budget can come from <laughs> different ways. It kind of depends on how you look at it, but um, I, yeah, I think of it as like, they're almost at their own agency or their own sort of vendor where they can go and create the thing. And a lot of times can do it very quickly and can do it very um, for a good cost. And we can do that. And it's no different than working with maybe a larger agency or other vendor, um, which can, you know, obviously take a little bit longer.
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and I love the point about organic social being declined. So th there has to be that hybrid mix of paid social as well as the quality content. And, uh, uh, and I think that there's a couple of things that brands struggle with. Um, one, uh, it talked to a lot of brands that internally have to explain why influencers are paid. And a lot of people internally uh, struggle with that and say, but you know, we don't want that. That's not our culture. Um, and they have to explain you know, why and like they're paying because they're independent and then they say well who are they you know they're independent consultant that doesn't sound very good and so uh, obviously you know even though we we might know that they're great influential experts with the right audiences there's a big explanatory um you know sort of uh, conversation around that um and the other point is that if they're creating quality content then that by itself is not going to drive leads or drive awareness. So there's the whole sort of repurposing, the content repurposing part. So I'd love to understand, um, one, uh, your view on how to explain why influencers are paid. And two, once you get the quality content, how um, you think brands should repurpose it um, to, to get the best kind of performance metrics that, that you're looking for. Yeah, and I think um, so. I think you know we've had that conversation um, internally as well, and that, and that comes up as a question a lot actually. And when we um, when we when we ran sessions um, in marketing earlier this year, so I, I I usually say you know it can actually be a cost effective way um, to you know get in, to engage influencers um, because not only we're you know obviously kind of tapping into their reach and authority, but also um, you know they they're content creators as well and. Um, and, and now I think also, and, and this is probably the pandemic has helped accelerate this um, in the last um, 18 months. I think in external influencers are getting really good at creating like, you know, professional high quality content and they've got, you know, the kits for filming and everything else. And, um, and, and, and I think Ryan mentioned this earlier as well is like, instead of kind of trying to, to pay maybe an agency to help ghost write a blog for us then you know it makes more sense to invest that budget into an influencer who is a real subject matter expert in the topic and also um you know they're, they're super professional and um you know really good in front natural in front of the camera and obviously used to moderating sessions and being you know speaking at events and yeah you mentioned different personas so i think that's what i'd usually say it, it depends on the campaign your objective um why you're paying the influencer and what you're paying them to do um and and typically when we do pay them it's it, it is to either speak at events or you know to to help create thought leadership content i mean i think it's simple for me it's like we're paying this individual for their time and we've selected them because of xyz reasons and we wouldn't go to an agency and ask them to produce content with us or collaborate on something and not expect to pay them now not every influencer is expecting payment and not every team has maybe the budget for influencers. So like we have to get sometimes a little creative and other benefits that we can provide. Again, maybe that's a one-on-one -on -one with an SME. Maybe that is attending an event um, as other, you know, there's other ways that we can kind of get people involved and it's not always maybe a check. And I know Tim and you guys have done a lot of research on sometimes payment isn't the number one thing influencers want. They want to be, amplified by the brand and be recognized as credible coming, you know, if we're collaborating with IBM, that hopefully gives them some credibility to their network. And I Absolutely. Think to your second question um, around like repurposing content, 
I love that, right? Like that is, we want to make sure content is, as has as much legs as if we can get on it. And if that means that could look like our, our branded channels could be sharing and creating snippets of content of like uh, audio grams or other things on their channels. If we're going to events and they're capturing things live in the moment, can we then put that on a web page or put that into our sales kits for our sellers to go and leverage and say, so-and-so was at this event. They're influential in this space. They had this conversation with our XYZ client. And we think this will be relevant for you because you're having the same challenges or digital transformation in your company. And so we definitely want to make sure our sales organization is being fed a lot of this content and we can make it um, snackable for them when they have to go out and kind of like make those, those calls or emails or other touch points. Yeah, I, th I think that's, that's so good to hear because sometimes if you're scrolling through LinkedIn and you see, you know, IBM doing some great work with an influencer and you, you see that, you know, he's getting thousands of views or something like that, then you think, you know, great, that that's good quality content. It's been seen by, uh, by the right type of audience. But actually, that's just the tip of the iceberg, as you're saying, because if you include it in sales decks, um, I know that you include it, um, I think, in an influencer newsletter internally so that um, there's some... I imagine educational um, you know, insights that people get you know, through that that couldn't attend the event. Uh, there's also, you're talking about maybe audiograms on your brand channel and you know, blogs and um, the potentially sharing on an employee advocacy tool as well. And I just love that, um, that the reach of this content you know, could be like a, what, a half an hour conversation or 10 minute panel or an hour fireside chat you know, can do across the brand. Um, so it's amazing to hear that. I mean, Nada, when you when you create some um, some really cool content with the influencers, do you feel like you know the French influencer uh, would obviously you know just be repurposed in France, or do you feel like there's a mere influencers talking English that can be repurposed across your nine markets? Like, how does that how does that work? It's yeah. it's more complex in Europe, isn't it? I think so, because we, we do have influencers, obviously, kind of, you know, speaking the local language um, uh, that we have engaged. Um, so I think the language is, is one thing, but I think also, you know, what we need to look at is the influence. Some of some external influencers have a you know, large following across different countries. So um, we worked with one influencer that actually said, you know, even though I'm, I'm based in Italy, actually, a, you know, a, a big part of my followers are in the US and in the UK. Um, and uh, he had like different handles as well. So I had like an Italian handle um, where he'd, he'd, you know, speak to his audience in, in Italian and then he'd have, um, a, you know, kind of English speaking um, handles as well and accounts. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, so I think it, it, we definitely need to that next level of understanding the influencers we're working with and kind of like their followers and their audiences and um, who they are. and. Um, and, and therefore, you know, create relevant content based on that audience. Um, so that's why I think co-creating the brief is really important as well to really um, hear from the influencers, whether, you know, how we can incentivize them, you know, what's important to them. Um, you know, and I, I love the report, the research report that you, you guys did where you interviewed um, over 300 influencers and the feedback you got from them. Um, and I think brands really need to listen to what influencers want and, 
um, how they want to engage with brands and what you know um, challenges they face as well. Um, so co-creating the brief, I think, is a really important one for me. And um, we shouldn't, you know, be kind of dictating what content um, we want to create, but more of a, a conversation around um, what works for the influencer. They often know their audiences best and what resonates. Um, and then being able to like repurpose that content absolutely if it's um, if it makes sense and, and can be reused. A lot of times, uh, you know, what we talk about in terms of thought leadership is is relevant across all the markets, really. Um, so if it's in English, then obviously, yeah, absolutely, it can be repurposed. If it's in a specific language, um, then we just need to make sure it kind of doesn't put off that um, specific audience that we're sharing, you know, on that channel. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And both of you are talking about audience analysis, and obviously that's the key part of uh, of, of things going forward. Um, I just want to read out a comment. So um, Dan uh, Melanson, oh, hi, Dan. Um, on the budget point, we moved away from a recent history of begging, borrowing, and stealing budget from marketing, advertising, comms, performance, to those projects now getting the investment and recognition up front. Um, and he's been very complimentary about both of you. So th thanks, Dan, for listening. Um, uh, so, so yeah, um, I would love to um, to understand uh, what advice you would give to to people who are maybe not as ad advanced as as IBM or some of the tech brands that have been doing this for maybe like five to seven years. So if you're if you're starting out. And thinking about like when you started your journey and all the knowledge that you got now, um, what would you what would you advise them? Yeah, I'll start. Um, and thanks, Dan, for the comments. I haven't seen them yet, but thank you for that. <laughs> um, uh, what I learned from where I started to where we are today, and we continue to evolve. Right, we have not figured this out, and we can like try new things and test and new platforms. But when I got started and, and I think starting really early with Analytico, it's like, I want to have, you know, 50 influencers in my program and I want to have 2 million reach on Twitter. And I don't know why that was a thing. That was just the number I wanted in my head. Right. And that was like <laughs> a big number. Like it was going to get everyone interested in, internally. Like he was gonna be like, yeah, that's great. We can reach this. And as things got going and I realized like, that's not how I should rating at all. Right. Like that's not about, the reach and it's not about the number of people you have in your program. Um, it's it's about the the performance and engagement, right? And the the relationships you're building. And this takes time to build relationships. And not to mention at the top was like one thing she's proud of is like seeing the the relationships that these that she's been building with influencers over the years and how that's evolved into I mean, maybe organic things happening on social that we're not necessarily always like kind of um, facilitating. So I think I would recommend my word of advice for individuals maybe getting started in this space is to start small, is to really understand the topics you want to be known for and like do a couple topics. We're not trying to like any IBM is easy to be like, oh, we got to boil the ocean, right? We got to do all these things. We want to make sure we're talking about all these things. Figure out the one or two things you want to like be known for and kind of own in those topics and just dive into that, whether that's through your own manual research on social by just putting in hashtags and, and following the right people and creating lists on Twitter to then evolving over time. And once you get them in your program and start building relationships and doing the one or two things off, I think then it can kind of organically build and grow. Um, and your metrics shouldn't be about like the number of people in the reach on, on Twitter, because that's not ultimately not that important. It's about 
what are the, 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 the things they're putting out there and are those getting engaged by the right people? And is that then in turn creating content and opening the door for our sales team or offering teams to learn more about like, how can we improve our offerings? Um, I think that it just opens up a lot of uh, doors when you kind of have a small group and you sort of build from there. Fantastic. Thanks. What do you think, Nada? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Honestly, I wrote the same thing in terms of tip. I said, you know, I should have asked you first that Ryan would yeah. have, to, have done more work. <laughs> We're completely aligned and um, completely agree. So I think, you know, start small and then scale. And I think the benefit with that as well is that you're able to then more quickly show the impact and the results. And, you know, you're able to then take that and and share the results with your stakeholders and business units and senior leadership team to get their buy-in. So I think that's another benefit for why you should also start small and then you know show the impact and then scale. Um, and then I think just to add from an employee advocacy perspective, I'd just say, you know, it's really important you focus on committed, you know, employees that, you know, whether they're execs or your subject matter experts that see the value in social and are kind of committed to wanting to build their visibility and um, kind of see the benefits there rather than again trying to just you know what we used to do is like run loads of enablement sessions and then hope that you know, you know it resonates with people and they'll go off and, and get social um, not really being able to like track the ROI from that so I think we need to be more strategic um, in what we do and who we work with and and involve them in our campaigns so they're part of our marketing mix and marketing strategy rather than sometimes employee advocacy seems like an add-on or like, you know, we'll focus on our editorial calendars and then, you know, we'll worry about the employees later. And actually, I think they need to be integrated into what we do. And, you know, that we know the answer isn't always content going out from our branded channels. So, you know, that's where we really need to, you know, involve them and kind of they need to be a consideration um, and integrated right from, from the start. Um, so they're a key part of our marketing strategy and it's a bit more strategic and, and targeted. Yeah, no, I love I love those two points. And I guess when people don't have buy-in for influence marketing but want to start, they want to show the big numbers. Probably like when you started, Ryan, you're like, okay, there's going to be two million re- you know, because I want to get people's attention because a big number gets people's attention. I guess what we're saying is start smaller but connect with the different campaigns and try to try to bring this in earlier and try to do some maybe internal lobbying or just like uh you know just discovery in terms of what their outcomes really are and then start with a couple of influencers and create some really high quality content and try and move the performance-based metrics and then go from there um but not trying to you know trying to do too much at the beginning which i which i think a lot of brands struggle with um but then you know i always say to people maybe take an underperforming area or or somewhere where it's big enough focus for the business where there could be a bit of innovation or pilot budget around but i think that's i, I think what you did ryan is is what uh, everyone is still doing um because you know because eyeballs and big numbers and you know i'm going to drive a thousand leads with a couple of influencers is kind of you know how you can get budget over the line but you know as you've proved there's just so much benefits beyond you know, some of the quantitative measures that it's almost like a social transformation and change of mindset. So I, I still think it's an, a very interesting challenge in the marketplace. But uh, anyone listening, I think those are two really, really good pieces of advice. Um, I, I must just ask you about the channel. You're talking about audience analysis. I know, Ryan, that um, that you are an avid TikToker. 
Um, I'm probably, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm probably just uh, throwing you under the bus there. I mm. did see one TikTok uh, fun video that you did. Um, do you think that apart from LinkedIn and Twitter, do you think that there are other channels now becoming much more prominent for B2B? Yes. Um, I think Twitter we know is kind of a great place to start. It's like the most open of the platforms and it gives us a, a good understanding of individuals. Um, and then LinkedIn for B2B is really still important. We know a lot of engagement happens there on that platform. And a lot of our IBMers are already on that platform and it's easy for us to sort of make those connections with influencers and um, a lot of business people are going there to like learn more. So, but sort of a non-traditional platform, I think, I, I haven't seen TikTok yet blow up in, in the B2B space, but it is something that we are at IBM exploring more of and understanding of who are the creators on that platform that are talking about cloud or AI or data. And can we do some really interesting things with them? Obviously, YouTube is a really important platform too. A lot of, there's a lot of great content and people obviously are on the platform a lot of time during the day to, under, to learn. And I think that's a really great place for us to identify and spend more time with our influencers. And then finally, I would say Reddit and is it a great place that we can engage. It's a little bit harder because, you know, anonymous and you don't really know exactly who you're, you're communicating with, but I think there's a lot of conversation happening there and it, at the very least, we should be listening to what's happening on Reddit, and that can inform a lot of our strategy um, or content or ideas, how we want to leverage, how people are talking about technology today um, in those communities and subreddits, and how do we take that to maybe other platforms and it can inform a lot of our strategy. So I think that's another platform we should be at least listening to if we're not going to participate um, with influencers or IBMers. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what I love about social as well is being able to experiment and you know, being able like all these things evolve so quickly, and you know, TikTok is what was it the most um, most downloaded app in 2020? And I think is it still going to be here in I don't know 10 years? Who knows? Um, but I think it's 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 um, important that you you know you pilot things and you experiment and, and test things um, and innovate. Um, and I think you know we really got that opportunity in social. So yeah, completely agree with Ryan. Amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, a bit harder to do audience analysis on Reddit, but you know, I think that's a great point about the listening channel. Um, Steve, uh, it's a great conversation. I appreciate these leaders and their willingness to speak about these issues. I love the approach of showing the impact and then achieving scale. So um, uh, thank you so much for joining. It's been uh, it's been amazing to speak to both of you. Um, again, apologies for introducing you both and then um, my internet connection <laughs> totally dropping. Um, I did that on purpose just to, just to give you a good test because I know that you're ready for anything. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but thank you so much. And, and anyone that wants to uh, watch any more kind of social advocacy uh, interviews or customer chats, then go to the Onlisca resources uh, page on our website. Um, thank you to Ryan and Arda, um, two excellent uh, practitioners in the influence marketing employee advocacy space. So go and um, connect with them, follow them, and I'm sure they'll, they'll engage with you on social um, and share ongoing knowledge. So um, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Tim. Nice to talk with you, Nada, too. You too. Okay. Same. Thanks, Ryan.